it you need it it's back baby the cbs sports state of combat podcast with the brian campbell mixed martial arts edition back with a bang back ready to bang let me bang with somebody yeah you will you'll hear it right now all analysis all the time no punches pulled as we break down all things of the aftermath of UFC 242 and a must-see thriller coming up this weekend. Yeah, I said thriller in advance when Cowboy, when Justin Gaethje get together to provide a highlight. We'll recap Bellator. We'll do all that and much more. And we will bring in the UFC Hall of Famer. Let's hear from him right now. Always sweet. Sometimes salty if you get on, you know, you get on the wrong side of this guy. You know, you'll you'll bring it out of him. You're going to do what I want you to do, and that's just the bottom line. That is, and here he is. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. My man, how is it? What's going on, BT? Fired the heck up. You guys are in South Florida. Brandon Wise on your left. Big, big man. Big man, Brandon Wise. What is up, BC? Yeah, you're good? You're in the gym? You're, you're sparring? uh any uh, any professional fighters at Hard Knocks? I don't have to. We don't have to be looking out for your body anywhere. Not this week, thanks to Abu Dhabi. But I will be back starting today, and then trying to be there on Saturday for sparring. It's All be right. Uh, wild times right now in mixed martial arts between the big win from Habib, the big announcement, guys, of that BMF title, and the gangster Super Bowl we're getting at UFC 244 between Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. I couldn't be more fired up. I'm sure you guys saw the trash talk. Between everybody yesterday on Ariel's show, it's a wild time. Uh, Rashad, you get down with that ish like us non-fighters do when when two guys are beefing, when Masvidal saying, "Oh, oh, Colby knows where to find me." You get fired up for that, or you you or do you sort of seen how the sausage is made? Nah, I get excited for it. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you know, when when trash talking is involved and somebody's saying, you know, somebody's trying to check somebody else about the trash talk. It's always exciting to see what the outcome is going to be, and especially when it's Colby Covington dealing with a situation that uh, that's in his gym. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it doesn't get any more awkward than that. <laughs> uh, Colby, we, we thought was going to fight Kamaru Usman. Now that suddenly is on hold. We'll see where the business goes on that. But to hear yesterday, Brandon Jorge Masvidal, who we know is going to be fighting Nate Diaz November 2nd, we can't wait to see that fight, was offered the Usman fight. As a replacement for Colby, who says he was lowballed and not given the respect. And that according to Jorge, that fight was about to get signed until the UFC called back and said, Whoa, we got Nate on line one, and he's ready to fight you tomorrow, and the money looks good. Wild how this happens behind the scenes. I mean, Rashad could probably speak to that well, but I'm happy, Brandon, that we're getting Diaz, Jorge, and not necessarily screwing up that fight. I think I still need to see which is Colby and Usman. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect fight for uh, for fight fans. It's it's a fun fight. It's a non-title fight, which is important because these two don't need a title. They just need to go bang in the octagon. And plus, we still might get like a triple threat fight at ATT if we go by the gym later today again with <laughs> Dustin Poirier, Colby Covington, and Jorge Masvidal. So. I mean, just show up with the cameras right there. But uh, Rashad, do you feel like this was a change in direction from the UFC to – not rush out some kind of light, you know, interim title fight for no reason. I know we're talking about the BMF belt, and if they even go forward and actually make one, by the way, the pro wrestling side of me would get fired up for that. But just the idea of non-title main event, two uber fan favorites, and oh, by the way, they're putting that in MSG. I feel like we like 
woke up in Bizarro World where the fans are running the show now. You know what? This is what makes the UFC the UFC and it what separates it from any other professional sport is the fact that the fans can actually have a say in what goes on, you know, and the interaction that the UFC has with their fan base, it makes it for what the sport is, you know, and it makes it so that people tune in to watch because think about this. I mean, they're, they're making a belt just for the, 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 the baddest, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> the baddest of, of these dudes. I mean, it's just something fun. It's something, you know, uh, both of these guys are going to make it exciting. It's something the fans can get involved in. And, uh, you know, it, it could start something. It could, it could, it could uh, you know, broaden our aspects of what we value when it comes to competing in a mixed martial arts space. So I love this idea because uh, it, it kind of it got triggered in the past. When Connor first became a giant pay-per-view star, some people would always make a joke, oh, maybe we should just forget about him winning and defending titles in certain divisions, make a Connor pay-per-view belt, and just sort of the biggest stars keep fighting each other. We heard this idea come up again when – Eddie Alvarez fought Justin Gaethje, and they were like, well, let's fight for the most violent title. And it was like, wow, imagine if that was an actual title. Like, could this BMF thing in your eyes, Rashad, be more than a joke? Could it actually be a, a belt that somebody defends? The only equivalent of this is I if, mean, if you are a pro wrestling fan, the only equivalent of this is when somebody gets named the king of the ring and they wear the crown, and they walk around as the king, and it's almost the equivalent to a championship without putting a championship on somebody. I think it'll be something interesting. I think it'll be something great because, you know, it'll give the fighters something also, another area to fight for, you know. But at the same time, while they're fighting to get one belt, they're going to be simultaneously trying to fight to be the most violent fighter at the same time. So you're going to get a kind of uh, a little cross-pollination happening here, and it's going to be beneficial for both sides. But also, it adds a bit of excitement. It adds a bit of, you know, a little bit of shtick to your game. You know what? I'm, the, I'm, you know what? I was the toughest guy. You were the champion, but I was the toughest guy. You know what I'm saying? So it adds something else that that people can bring to the table when they're when when they're trash talking. And it's and it uh, I think it will also, you know, make the fights a lot more fun for the fantasy because if you if you want the title, you got to put in that work. The only thing I'll correct you on is that the most violent title belongs to Justin Gaethje, and he's defending it this weekend against Donald Cerrone. It's the only thing I'll say. That is fair. That is, that's sort of like the precursor to this. But seriously, guys, if this becomes an actual physical title, I'd love the idea of if there was like less sanctioning rules on it. What I mean by that is it's almost an open weight title. Like obviously, both guys have to agree to the fight. But if you're wearing the title, and let's say it's somebody like Nate Diaz with it, and you're like, "Look, I can fight at lightweight. I can fight at welterweight." Hey, for the right price, I'll fight anyone in this in this window. So it almost could become a de facto thing where you put two action guys together like this that doesn't have a storyline, right? Diaz Mosville, there's no storyline. The storyline is they're bad mofos who make great TV and great fights. We want to see them. Or it could become sort of a beef thing. Oh, well, Colby Covington's three divisions away from me, but the dude's talking trash. If we can agree, let's just meet in the middle on weight and let's not worry about that. And let's just see who's the man. You have no idea the potential marketing use of that to the to the casuals, a but to Rashad, those old school just bleed fans who were still in this just to see two guys with a beef or two guys who are ultra crazy go in there and hopefully knock each other's teeth out. Like there's still that that's still a thing in this world right. in terms of why people watch the sport. Yeah, absolutely, and also and also to add to your point, you know. You know, with with the whole belt thing, you know, we have to understand the fact that the belt doesn't even carrying the belt doesn't even have the same weight, you know, because you always have these interim belts and everything. So 
Bing Champion has been kind of knocked off his pedestal a bit. So this this will be able to add a little bit something like, you know, uh, another wrinkle to the game, you know, and, and it'd be something exciting for a lot of people. I really like this idea, man. I think it could be something that uh, every day I'm getting more excited about it. You know, like at first I'm like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's cute. Now I'm like, you know what? Let's make this thing work because everyone wants a 165 division, right? Because there's so many blown up lightweights and smaller welterweights who make action fights. This might be like a de facto version of that because there's so many guys within those two weight classes because both weight divisions are so deep and there's so many celebrity names there, aging guys, guys that are just brawlers. This may end up being like, hey, guys, meet me at 165 and we'll just do this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Brando, what, what, can we get a division with rankings? Brando, gun to your head. Will UFC.com slash rankings have a BMF top 10 before they have a women's featherweight top 10? <laughs> Because <laughs> they still don't, by the way. Yeah, that's probably more likely. But we still need to get a 165 division, and we need a name for that. So I guess this will suit. How about a 195 division? Or 195. Uh, like, would you go cruiserweight on that? Well, no, that you wouldn't go cruiser because it's below light heavy. Yeah. And you don't want to change the names of the division ever, right? You don't like you always like. I don't know. I don't like the idea of super or junior. Whatever. Whatever yeah. in the end. Um, you guys see how big this Masvidal Diaz fight is getting in terms of the response from people. It's not just fans marking out. It's Dwayne The Rock Johnson responding to a tweet from Jorge Masvidal who says, I'll be there at MSG. I'll put the belt around your waist when you win. Consider it done. Uh, I don't know if there's a bigger celebrity you can get for this moment. That's probably about it, right? But I think the UFC is going to really start to figure out what this whole thing is that they don't really need the title shot to have these big numbers. And all they really need is just the, the, the perfect chemistry. And, you know, you, you put whatever importance you want behind it. But at the end of the day, you know, we know what's going to happen when both these guys meet in the octagon. You know, that's, that's why I teed it up to you as if it's almost like a changing of philosophy. Because UFC got a little bit corporate for a while. And then it was, well, every fight's got to have a title of some meaning on it and blah, blah, blah. When sometimes fans just want two personalities or two guys with beef to be a main event. And not only is this happening, but it's taking two guys, Masvidal and Diaz, who we looked at and we cried on this show many times. And we're like, when are they going to realize what they could have if they market these sort of anti-hero guys? And now we're seeing these guys get, like, championship-type treatment. I'm all for that, Brando. Like, wake up. It's time. The only thing I'll say is that it, I find it interesting that they picked MSG for this because Nate wanted to do it in Cali or in not Florida, but somewhere on the East Coast. And Jorge said two weeks ago that he didn't want to go and fight in New York because the last time he fought there at, at UFC 205, he had a bad experience where people were trying to bother him the whole time. And he just didn't really want to go to New York. So I find that aspect of it interesting, but I'm guessing that the UFC made it worth their while to make this happen. Yeah, you heard, uh, if you listen to the ESPN Ariel Hawani interview with Maz Vidal, he, he started getting giddy and laughing, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid very well. Like, this was my moment. This, you know, this is a championship opportunity for him. BMF or not, this is the, the right money. It's the, it's the place. I mean, look, dude, it's MSG. Like, I know we took a step down last year due to injuries with DC and Derek Lewis in terms of overall name value, but, they, they fought for years to get in this building. This is the sacred ground of any, building you can fight in in this country this is i mean this is it this is the mecca and they're gonna let these two lovable 
This is gangsta. Get Coolio online. This is gangsta's paradise right here. I'm fired the hell up. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Like, I just want to take that minute and just take a step back. Never would have guessed this. Even four days before this, Dana White was telling reporters, you know, I don't even know if we'll ever see Nate again for another three years. He's just that type of dude. No, we're going to see him headline the second biggest card of the year. I mean, that's badass. Yep. Now, I told BC the odds for this fight, but if you just straight up wanted to make a pick, who would you pick is going to win this fight? Mm. Well, uh, obviously it can change in the next two months before. I would would, would say just just picking them from previous fight, I would say Nate Diaz pressure is really hard to handle. Um, And I've seen uh, Gamebred succumb to that kind of pressure before. Um, but I haven't seen game bread since he's made his, you know, reemergence as this guy get dominated like I have with the pressure since, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Because th- doesn't he seem so different from the Thompson fight? Rashad? Yeah, this is a different Masvidal, you know? It's interesting. So, so Nate is actually the underdog right now. He's minus, he's plus 175. Wow. Jorge is like minus 190, minus 200. Wow. 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 Um, I'm extremely uh, giddy at what this means on, on the big business it can do on, on, on a lot of the changes that seem to be going on and the extension of them making this matchup with some of that trash talk that we, that we heard yesterday, uh, mainly Colby here. Um, it sounded like Masvidal is going to, like you said, go to the gym and track him down. Anytime Colby speaks, Brandon. We got to juggle in the back of our of our mind his pro wrestling personality, the attempt to get people to hate him on purpose. But these are now his teammates. You saw Dustin Poirier over the weekend, and we're going to get Rashad's take on, on 242. You better believe it in a second. But Poirier afterwards ripped Colby and be like, no, nah, man, I'm not I'm not going to talk trash. I don't want to fight Jorge Masvidal. That's my brother. That's my guy. I'm not like Colby Covington who's going to, you know, suddenly turn on. Uh, how much of this is real, Brandon? Because nobody's realer than Masvidal. And those words in that interview, I want, you know, the fan of me wants to believe that that Colby just burned another bridge to try to make himself uh, the world's most hated man. See, this is something I feel like Rashad might have more insight on because to me, on the outside looking in, I would see this as all one team trying to make a ploy for them all to get more money. But the way that Jorge is now talking about Colby, where he's saying, come, I know you know where to find me and I know where to find you. Like, we can settle this without cameras, without anything. So to me, I think that they might be all trying to work together to make some cash, but uh, I feel like they might actually fight like in, at ATT later today. <laughs> no, I think it's definitely authentic, you know, especially with a guy like Masvidal, you know, um, you know, with his culture, you know, they, they don't play around, you know, like Cuban influence, they don't play around. They, 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 uh, they speak for real. And when they speak, they, they do exactly what they say. So um, I definitely think that, Covington was out of pocket, and and I've already been hearing before because they used to live together be, before they were roommates, and I and I hear that didn't end on the what uh, the best the best way, but they remained friends. But then uh, but then like I guess Covington kept on on saying stuff, you know what I'm saying? So you know I, what what I think it is is just that you know Covington at this point in in, in his in his career, he feels like he's getting the most attention. He's getting the most traction from being this character. And I think now this character is kind of taking on a life of its own and now he can't even stop it. You know what I'm saying? Now he's, now, now he's, now he's even saying stuff to the people who once supported him, you know? So 
is uh is is bad when you lose when you as a fighter allow the character of who you're trying to let the people see take over who you really are. Very, very good point right there. I want to uh, transition into what we saw over the weekend in UFC 242. But first, I do want to pause, though, and hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And we're back. State of Combat MMA, BCB dubs, and Sugar Rashad Evans and Rashad Brandon and I hit up some instant analysis right after this event ended, but we want to see sort of big picture. Your take on Habib Nurmagomedov's, I guess the right word is easy, dominant, insanely impressive third-round submission win over Dustin Poirier. I'll pitch it to you like this, Rashad. If you would have told me Habib was going to win, I wouldn't have argued that. If you would have told me he would have made it look this easy, wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I was deeply impressed. I mean, you know, for first and foremost, the pressure that he was under and being able to uh, keep it at a minimum and go out there and perform the way that he was able to perform is is remarkable. I mean, when you when you when you have that much pressure, the first time that you engage into any contact with your opponent, it feels like it's already fifth round. You feel exhausted right away just because the adrenaline dump. But he was able to handle that really well. But more importantly. You know what he's able to do inside the octagon is is, is head and above, uh, head and shoulders above anybody else in the weight class. I mean, everyone knows that he's going to take them down and he's going to dominate them. So that means for eight plus weeks, however how long they do their camp, they're working diligently to get up and work on different ways to to minimize that attack and keep the fight where they want to keep the fight. Everyone has failed. That means that this guy is so good. He's perfected the craft, and he knows the ins and outs and the little nuances that keeps a fighter who thinks that they mastered a skill to get back up on the ground, and it keeps him frustrated enough that they never get back up to the feet once he chooses to take them down. That is that is that is a that is an art form that we haven't really, you know, that, that's a domination that that we rarely get to see in this octagon. It, it's it's something very special to witness and see because everyone knows what he's going to do. And no one can stop. All right, I want to take it even deeper than that because we've seen great wrestlers in UFC. We've seen dominant wrestlers. We've seen guys who can control large portions of a round. John Fitch types who can lay and pray, really just have that sort of they've, – they've cornered the market on how to win the X's and O's battles and do that. But no one seems to be able to do exactly what Habib's doing, Rashad, where it's like if I get you down – it better to, you know you better hope it's not the first 30 seconds of the round because you're not getting up until that end of the round if you can survive my ground and pound and submission so for the absolute layman who knows nothing about grappling or amateur wrestling 
What is different about what Habib's doing that guys literally cannot get up? And if you saw what Poirier did, would expend a ton of energy to sit back against the cage, work himself up, and then dragged and tripped down instantly. Why is he able to do this on the super elite level? Like, the, like this ain't Pat Healy, no disrespect, or this ain't uh, Daryl Horcher. This was Dustin Poirier who was, like, on the verge of the, the mountaintop of his career moment. Couldn't have come in any hotter. Couldn't be, at 30 years old, more ready to be a star. And Habib humbled the ball bags out of him. How is he doing that, Rashad? That Where other guys are just standing up when people take him down. Yeah, I think the biggest difference with Habib and everyone else is the fact that, you know, his ground and pound is different than everyone else. And I think that that was the biggest difference in his game. You know, it's a big difference in his game with how, uh, with, with, his, with his ground and pound. He worked, um, with, with, uh, you know, his manager actually, Ali Abdelaziz, uh, using some of Greg Jackson's old school ground and pound technique that and coupled with, uh, Habib, what he was doing before. Um, they, they perfected a style of ground and pound where they, they, really get you in a position where you're trying to work and you think that you're going and work and you think you're getting up and then they start hitting you with those those ground and pound shots but the ground and pound shots they're not just little pop shots you see some people hitting they they have a lot of force behind them so they're they're like forces that you will hit that you will feel on your feet so you, so when you start to defend those shots then the pressure it, it becomes too much and then you have to decide what do I want to get grind it out or would I rather get punched in the face by some of these hard shots so then you end up choosing the lesser of the lesser of the evils and just trying to hope for your uh, place to escape but then you really never get that you know in, in, in consecutive moments that's what I see when I watch it be how many moves ahead is he of people like what like what do you what's going on in his head when when these guys are scurrying to try to to try to sit up to try to do anything well, he sets these traps because when he takes people down, you know, he's already he's already set them. He set traps by making them think that the fight or his control is actually in one area, but it's actually in another area. You know, a lot of times you'll see, you know, he, he'll, he'll wrap his his uh, his legs around their legs. So then that their legs, their knees are, are together, but then he'll hang on the back of the head. So then they'll feel like he's on the back of the head. And they don't really address the fact that they got to get their legs free. And that's really what's keeping them down on the ground. Not the fact that he's hanging on the back of the head, pop shotting them. You know, so it's all about disguising where the fight is going to be. And if you're able to disguise where you're attacking at, then you keep your opponent in, in total limbo, not knowing where you're actually going. I'm seeing just such a, uh, you know, obviously he's, he's, uh, a, a mentally a genius in there and knowing what he's doing and the, and the technique is so beaten down and tried and true that he's so ready. But Rashad, like he wouldn't have this much success and be 28 and 0 if he wasn't special on the inside and intangibles, not just toughness, but that mindset that you talked about, the, the pressure of, of having to deliver being the incoming hero at this card on foreign soil mixed with I've never seen a fighter go through so many layoffs and come back like nothing's ever happened. Like, he just seems like he's just different. That's the most basic way to say it. Sometimes we see guys come out of these, you know, Russian or foreign Russian nations, and mentally they seem just different. They had a different upbringing than a lot of us did in the States. But from times you've met him or talked to him, like, what is that difference on the inside of Habib in your eyes? The difference with Habib is his 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 belief and his confidence uh, and just everything that he's doing, you know, and it stems from his belief in God and just knowing that he's he's taking the right steps. So a lot of times you see Habib, you know, he, he'll hang out and he'll have fun. But for the most part, everything is always about 
the lifestyle that he's trying to pursue. So it's all about training, being a mixed martial artist, it's all about, you know, being, you know, truly spiritual and devoting himself to God and everything, you know, um, you know, he, he'll train and then he'll go and he'll pray and then he'll go and, and always making sure that he's crossing the I's and dotting the T's and being in perfection and, and all right. You know, they these guys, they train all the way up until their fight day as if, you know, what I'm saying like there's no difference from the start of the camp all the way into a couple of days in their fight. That's how intense they are throughout the whole time. So. They're they're like they they are continuously intense. You know, I'm I'm not surprised if he's in a gym today and he's working hard as he did, you know, his last day at camp. And that's just how he he's been able to roll. But when you do that, you build such a foundation that gets leaps and bounds ahead of, ahead of everyone else who takes these breaks that he doesn't take. And it's not that in theory, when we're trying to say who can beat him and Brandon and I put our head together over the weekend, we're like. Maybe Tony Ferguson, but at 55, I just don't see another human right now unless, you know, he walks into traffic one time or he just doesn't take it training seriously anymore. Like if he's this focused and this prime and his striking has certainly evolved incredibly well. But how much in trouble in those two moments, the two strikes from Poirier with the left hand to open round two and the guillotine in round three, he never panicked. But how close to destruction do you feel like he was in either of those moments? I, I was I would say definitely more so with the choke because you even see him him have to recognize it by kind of uh, giving away his his posture and the position a bit to try to make him think uh, try to think Poirier uh, make Poirier think that he had the advantage and then scramble. But um, what got me was was when he got rocked on his feet because at that point when you get rocked on your feet, a funny thing happens. It's like you know you can't feel your legs, so when you can't feel your legs. You, you really can't feel your arms as well, too. Like your body goes numb. So even when you do a shot, you can't really feel how tight or if you even need, if you're squeezing tight enough to take him down. So then you can't take the person down. So when, when he got caught with the shot, I'm just like, uh oh. And then he was trying to go for the, the takedown and, and, uh, Dustin was able to get away. It got kind of hairy for a second because it only took, you know, another well placed shot there to put him on that, that, that danger zone where Dustin maybe could have followed up with some consecutive shots. But when you're looking at a guy like, you know, what what problems does a Tony Ferguson present to to a Habib? That's it. That long range that maybe he would have been able to find that second or third shot that Dustin Poirier may not have been able to find. You know, you know, even Michael Jordan was able, I mean Michael Johnson was able to land a shot right. on Habib that that staggered him. You know, what if he had a little bit more reach and be able to land the second or third one when when Habib was already Daged, you know what I'm saying? So these are the, these are the, the the questions that a Tony Ferguson fight brings to mind. Brandon, that's I'm what so that's what I was telling BC this weekend is like Tony's a pressure guy. He's going to put his pressure on Khabib to the point where it's like he's going to have to make a decision: do I shoot or do I just stand and try to try to avoid all these shots? And I don't know what's going to happen because Khabib does the same thing just with his wrestling because his game is: I'm going to get you near the fence, I'm going to bait you with my punches. And then if once you start going for the for the feints and blocks, I'm just going to take your legs. So that's why I am so enthused by this fight because it might be the most tactical fight UFC can make right now. Yeah, I agree. And, and honestly speaking, I think even Habib knows that it's going to be one of those fights because he didn't want to talk about the fight at all, not <laughs> one bit. Like he like he refused to talk about the fight, and I and I don't blame him because here's the thing about it: I used to always hate this. Like after I just had a fight and I just 
took off one heavy bag yeah. uh, of stress. I don't want to put another one back on so fast. Let me let me just walk around and feel free for a minute without worrying about having to have some other killer who wants to knock my head off. You know what I'm saying? So I do get him in that respect, but also you have to think about the psychological aspect. Why didn't he want to say, yeah, this is something I want to entertain, you know? It was interesting. I think it was because he's already proven to us a few times that Habib's a very smart businessman. He's got, you know, guys like Ali in his corner who who are uh, really doing some big things in the UFC in terms of of getting his fighters into big fights. If you noticed at the press conference, Habib was more focused on two things. Putting it back in the picture that he wants GSP oh so badly as a dream fight. And I think in his eyes, that would be really the ultimate fight to to really make him against a guy he, you know, looks up to so much. And, and George St. Pierre the, has a similar sort of mindset in the way he looks at the sport. But even bigger, I saw a Habib who's dedicated to turning his image around and really talking about, hey, we'll fight Habib. We'll do it in Africa. We'll do it. All the money goes to charity. You saw him in the cage hugging Dustin, putting on Dustin's T-shirt. I don't. I think he's probably not happy with how he looked having to go through that that Connor soup that uh, the Connor soap opera in terms of you know. Look, I mean, Rashad, you know it. Anytime you're gonna have public beef with somebody, it's gonna really heat up. You're not gonna be yourself in a lot of those moments. You know, you're pushed past your limit. And I almost feel like it was Habib's way to say, you know what? I'm the champion. I just headline a pay per view that probably did really well. Hey, Dana. I want to be a babyface. Let's fight GSP. Let's let's get good headlines. Let's throw the money to charity. Let's not have me go through hell tomorrow against Tony or if you're trying to work Connor back into this magic for all the money. Like I call some of the shots there. That's the image I took from watching that. And and I tell you what, that that is absolutely uh correct. I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I and I like that approach from Habib just because of some of the fact that, you know, uh he's worked hard to get into his position and he's had to endure a lot to to get in this position so um i don't i don't blame him for for making it wanting or wanting to do it his way you know and i think the fact that he was really trying to drive home the message of you know no trash talk we don't need to do this this is not what the sport is about and 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 i really i really like that message because at the end of the day i feel like we've gotten to the point where you know it, that became the style. Like you had to insult someone. You had to, you know, make it personal in order to get ahead just because, it, you know, that was that what was the hotness. You that know? was the so, cur- McGregor showed you that's the true currency for a while. You want to be a star, then be that. Look at what look at what Colby's doing. You can't tell me that's not inspired by Connor, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And but but you know what, though, at, at the end of the day, all of that, it takes a skill to do, you know, because Connor. He walks such a, a fine line, and even him even step, oversteps it because, you know, uh, you look at the way that Kobe's doing it, you look at the way that Connor's doing it. Even though Connor does cross that line, he's still a lot more bearable than Kobe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're still a lot more interested in what Connor has to say because it, cause it's funny, you know? It's well, funny. and most of it seems real, to be honest with you. Most of it seems no, just like I'm an arrogant up. prick, I'm better than you, whereas Kobe seems a little too calculated. So, Absolutely. and look, let's not forget Habib in the past, by the way. When they were jerking him around and they gave Connor the Eddie Alvarez fight at, at head of 205, Habib was like, maybe I'll just quit. All right, maybe I'll just not fight again. Or maybe I'll just, hey, UFC, you want to go to Russia? Maybe I'll just never pl- fight on that card and help you get there. And then what happened a couple of years later? After he beats Connor, he's talking about Floyd Mayweather fighting to, to try to leverage himself more opportunity and more money. And then just recently, UFC suspends his teammates for that 229 melee. He says, all right, you don't you don't reinstate them? I'm going to quit. 
Remember? Because at first Dana was like, these guys will never fight in the octagon. So not only did those guys get year-long suspensions, they got shortened at the last minute, which made them eligible to fight this past weekend at 242. So it's all sort of... And then you look at Habib just signed a new deal in June. Brett Okamoto tweeted that out. There was specific language in that deal about GSP, which originally Dana said, no, no how, no chance. So you can see Habib's getting things he feels he deserves. But at the end of the day... Dana White, UFC, Endeavor, maybe even Disney are going to be the ones who say who he fights next. And mm-hmm. Dana said, no one deserves it more than Tony. But Brandon and I talked about this on Saturday. You heard that little break in Dana's voice where he said, we're going to offer it to Tony. But if there's any for reason he doesn't take it or can't take it, Connor sounds like a good fight. Oh, God, Rashad, not now. Not oh. now, bro. Oh, man. But listen, I mean. I, maybe maybe they're like, you know what, we need to get the best, most we can get out of Connor. But I would love to see Connor just get back in there with, with somebody else. Not not saying that he, he like because he has to fight a big name guy, right? It has to be a big name guy, but it has to be more of a big name guy that kind of uh, swings more of in his favor. You know what Frankie I'm saying? Like Edgar. There you go. Somebody, some, somebody, somebody, it, it, it swings more in his favor. You know, he's a bigger guy in that fight. So that that's that's something. That the fans can get excited behind Connor's back. Connor can do his little his shtick, you know what I'm saying? What, what Connor does, and and he can look, you know, do what he does. But I think if he goes with Habib again, I think that you're cashing him out. Be, it, it can be the end of Connor. It could yeah. be the end of him. Damn right, you'd be cash. You'd be straight up cashing him out. I don't think he can win it right now. I know we could talk about the foot injury of the first fight. The best thing for him is to rebuild his own confidence through winning, rebuild his star. And I know everyone's saying, everyone sort of listened to our podcast and got on me, and they're like, well, dude, that fight sells no matter what time you do it. Of course. It, it, you know, I mean, it's going to sell probably two million buys if you do it tomorrow, but you could break the record of the first fight if you rebuild Connor and do this the right way. And if you have Habib fight Tony. And look, I know I said the other day, Brandon, that I love the idea of Habib GSP so badly because I think GSP is really the perfect legend. He's carried himself so perfectly that if anyone's going to get a chance to be a three-division champ, even with him admitting, I will just hijack the title, win it, and give it up the next day, I think he deserves that. And I told you that I would even take that over a Tony fight, but I think I had to go back in my think tank and check myself. Nobody deserves this more than Tony. Nobody. Like, make this fight. It's the the most hardcore of hardcore matchup. It's the best fight you can make in the whole dance. Now, with DC just losing, which makes the John Jones trilogy a little less big and important, this is the best fight you can make by far tactically. But I think even overall, it's got to happen next. It's got to. If I'm Tony and I don't get this fight, I ask out of my contract. Because you're clearly just saying, screw you. You don't deserve it. We don't think you sell. Like, that's what they're gonna t- basically saying by saying by giving it to Connor GSP or anybody, frankly. And if they lowball him, like man, I feel so I feel so bad for that guy because for all the stuff that we've talked about in the past with his own personal problems that he's been going through, for him to not get the shot after all of this, trying to work his way back and make himself a better person, that would just be the final nail in the coffin to me for him and his relationship with UFC. It really would. And Helwani sort of summed it up. He says. Habib is 12 and 0 in the UFC. Tony's riding a 12 fight win streak. It's just perfect. And Rashad, like we could have seen this four other times and no time seems better than right now. Like this is like, this is the, this is the ultimate fight. 
I, that's I'm, so weird to say there's the ultimate fighting championship and here's the ultimate fight. But this is the ultimate yeah. fight of two trains colliding on the track. I mean, Connor and Habib was, but that was a little bit more mixing marketing and promotion with two great fighters, former champion who never really lost his belt against the current one. But this is an, is, is so much of a better fight on paper than even that one that please can can you you probably know people there can we make some calls can you get mick, mick maynard <laughs> yeah. on line one here and just say come on let's stop fooling around all right come on let's do it come on what are we doing just get in the war room just you know tell them what it is yeah they gotta make this fight happen it, it, it has to happen it has to i think when you join the ufc hall of fame and you get that nice jacket you probably get a key card that just lets you in any ufc office or room <laughs> right just oh you want to use the performance can you use could you use the performance institute tomorrow if you want to to go train yeah I can still use it. Okay, okay. Free, free meals there. You know, show up in the war room. Just step in. You know, just stumble <laughs> in, you know. I'm here to, you know, pick some fights. Let's just, yeah. Indeed. Uh, I wanted to, to touch quickly, Rashad, on a, on a fight Brandon and I broke down. The co-main event in which Edson Barbosa dropped a split decision to Paul Felder. Very exciting rematch. Since we talked, you see Team Barbosa going out there and saying, look, the scorecards of 30-27 in either direction. That don't work with us. They're appealing the score. When has that ever worked, Rashad? Uh, not, not ever. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really call too many times work, but listen, I, I, I think they have a case. I mean, nothing against Paul Felt. I thought Paul Felt fought an amazing fight, but I, I didn't think that it was the way that it was scored. I didn't see it that way. All right. All right. You're, are you a believer in Paul Felder as a lightweight title contender? Um, I am. I just think that, you know, um, you know, once his body adjusts to cutting that kind of weight, and and once he kind of uh can you know can can use more of his uh, well-rounded mixed martial arts, you know, because sometimes he gets kind of stuck in 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 in, in, in one in one fighting style. But once he uses more of his well-rounded style, then yeah, I think he can definitely be a contender in the weight class. He does make fun as hell fights. All right, Brandon, I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. Okay, you and Rashad, your teammate. Had a big moment over the weekend, sort of yeah. stole. They think they thought Rampage stole the show at Bellator 226. It was really featherweight Adam Boric, and the first of what was there four matchups in this featherweight 16 man tournament on last Saturday. Yep, in San Jose, uh, take the floor, fellas. This guy came out and sent uh, a, a good fighter and Jeff Kern and I'm sorry, Pat Kern, Pat Kern to uh, to hell. He straight up took his soul right there. Yeah, amazing fight. You know, Borax is, you know, this kid is, is showing why, you know, he, he's, he's something to be watched in this, in this tournament and somebody who can win this tournament. I mean, just his composure throughout the fight and being able to find that shot. You know, everyone knows that he has a knee, but being able to find it the way that he found it and disguise it and just as his confidence inside the octagon, this kid is something special. And honestly speaking, there's another level that you guys are going to see. He's not even showing you everything yet. This kid is that good. I think he made the biggest statement of all the featherweights on Saturday, although there were some good performances there. Uh, Brandon, are you allowed to call him your teammate, even though you're like a uh, weekend warrior, a, a novice off the street who's like, I'll come in and spar, I'll bang? You put those words on me, not me. You said that. All right. All right. Were you happy for your guy? I was very happy for him. I I thought the first first round and a half of that was like a lot of feeling out. Neither of them wanted to show too much, and they were both looking to set up counters. But then, like in his last fight, all of a sudden the flying knee just makes an appearance, and right. and Curran's on his back, and he's getting finished. So, I mean, it's great for him. I'll be interested to see how they do the matchup because didn't didn't you say that they, they're the next round is going to be weird, like kind of of a draw 
so what I read, and this is interesting, Rashad, is they're going to do a public ceremony, Bellator, in which the coaches of each fighter come out when this tournament for round two goes down to eight men, and they're going to pick a ball out of like a, you know, like a lottery machine, and the first pick will get to pick what card. They'll have the cards in front of them, the, the towns, the times, the dates, and there would be an inherent advantage if, let's say, you suffered physical damage in your first fight to try to pick a later date, or maybe you want to fight in a certain city, or maybe one card seems like it would be bigger in terms of uh, prestige and, and notice than others. And I think you ultimately get to pick what you want. So if you have a draw an early ball, you're picking the location. But I, do the guys in the end end up getting picking the matchups? I don't know. I I just remember I saw you and our uh, one of our coworkers talking about it in our Slack channel, and I was very confused by the setup that that um the president of Bellator, Scott Coker, was trying to present to everybody. And it's just like, why don't we just make the bracket the way that normal tournaments work like why do why are we making this so complicated right i mean i think that's their their best way of getting their of controlling it and getting the best matchup so maybe maybe the first ball pickers there excuse the term can uh pick the site and then maybe beltor matchmakers from there will match it up but uh i'm interested look big win there emmanuel sanchez oh, my boy daniel strauss didn't come up on top i think it's past it's pet you know he's post prime here but uh he got he got hurt i think in the first round and then at the end of the fight, his arm was just completely gone. Yeah. I don't know if it was a recurring thing from that car accident yeah, he had. His, his arm was messed up, man. He, he, it almost was like it was like a stinger hit him, and then he was dealing with it. seemed like he was had dealt with it before because you've seen the frustration just over his face in the fight. It's almost like, well, I might as well give up now. I can't do anything. This thing happened again. That's what it almost seemed like to me because I had a stinger like that before, and I would get frustrated in fights when that happened. So that's what that kind of reminded me of. It looked like he had a sting where he just got frustrated in the fight. Uh, some other good good bouts there. Uh, Derek Campos got the win over Daniel Strauswick. We mentioned Borch comes out on top. Uh, Manuel Sanchez took down Taiwan Claxton. And uh, Pedro Carvalho, didn't he tap out there, Sam Cecilia? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, Borch certainly won the night. We'll see as this bracket goes on. We got some big names to come. I think that next show is, what, two weeks from now? Yeah, it's the same night as Earl Spence and Sean Porter. September 28th. All right. But the big Bellator news that sort of reverberated like a fart in church was uh, <laughs> another heavyweight main event for them fell apart. No, Matt Mitrione didn't kick anyone in the stick this time. But uh, what looked to be a, a an interesting Ryan Bader Czech Congo fight. We talked about that coming in. Congo may be 44 years old, but he had been on a hell of a run. Uh, fell apart before it could could really get going in the first round. An eye poke while Bader was kneeled in front of him after taking him down. And then suddenly check couldn't continue. So it's a no contest. But replays, Rashad, I don't know if he thumbed him. And given Czech Congo's history of being involved in many a no contest, I know that we should never criticize a fighter's heart when we're not in there. Dude, I'm not taking punishment. I don't know if he got clipped by an errant long coke nail i don't know bro what'd you see i didn't i didn't really see the uh the poke that that made it so he couldn't continue what, what i did see that did see hit something in his nose i did see something did uh i did see kind of a rubbing at the eye but I, w w the thing that makes it so hard to really see exactly what happened is when he turned his head away from the camera at that angle you know where, where, where um 
beta was like in the uppercut position, mm-hmm. you know, it makes it really hard to see if at that point that that's where he, he poked him because, I mean, that's all it really takes at that point. If he's digging around in there and he's trying to, you know, uh, and, and he, you know, pokes into that eye, it can, it could, it could uh, cut the cornea and kind of, you know, make you kind of blind for a second or just put too much water in your eye where you can't really see too clearly. But that's a TKO, not a no contest. That's the problem. Well, I mean, it, it, not not if it's not a, not if it's a punch, but if it's like a um, if he's poking. That's right. What I'm saying. But it, I mean, all the camera angles that we could see looked like a closed fist. It looked, yeah. It and was, and the the angle that you see on the camera, it looks like he's in his nose pushing up into head. the into the eye. Right. So it's like, what are you complaining about? Yeah, you know. I didn't, I didn't, so Brandon, you wanted him to bite down on the mouthpiece and, and keep fighting there. Well, it's either that or he like Rashad saying he can't see, and that's not Bader's fault. That's it, to me, it looked like a punch, and that's a TKO if you cannot continue. Yeah, I didn't see a, a willingness or want to fight there from Congo. Again, I don't know how how badly he was hurt or or what the situation was, but it, it's just a it's a crappy ending. And I wanted to sort of make that case coming in that like Bader had a chance to make that Bellator belt matter to a certain degree because he's got two belts because he's fighting in two different divisions because he's really turned himself into this this new fun fighter who can do different things as an improved boxing game. And then we just sort of get this ending. And I know they sort of spun the narrative forward or had the narrative spun forward on them. When Chet Congo's teammate rampage Jackson, former Rashad Evans foe comes running in, pushing officials, pushing the team. And now you have afterwards, uh, after that pro wrestling moment, Bader saying, yeah, I'll fight you. So I mean, look, that name wise, it's not a horrible fight to make. It's okay. But it's a little cringy that for sort of forced pro wrestling. I mean, we've seen this in Bellator, guys. You remember when Stefan Bonner brought out the American Fedor in that mask before oh, he man. fought Tito, oh, and there was a mask over a mask, and was that Justin McCauley? Uh, yeah, I was in the arena that night. That was cringe. Um, I don't know what to say about this. Like, okay, Beta Rampage, that's fine, but please don't schedule Beta Congo again. Can we just act like this didn't happen? <laughs> I mean, you know what? What I don't—it was not Bear's fault that that happened the way that happened. I mean, it was just—I don't know, man. That, that was that was a weird turn of events, really. I mean, because honestly speaking, I didn't really see nothing that was like, oh man, look at that—it was just outrageous thumb in the eye or finger in the eye. I didn't see anything that could be anything like that. So, but that's like part of what BC's getting at. It's yeah, like it's just, the the division was kind of a joke before they finally did this tournament with the older names and and the veterans like Bader and then Bader wins the championship and his first title defense ends like this. Yeah, so it's right. like, do we yeah. actually care about the heavyweights in Bellator or do we only care about the well, heavyweights in UFC? So that's the thing. That tournament made us care to a certain degree. That tournament made, cause you've, you've got old name, you got old sexy ass names there, right? You got, you got Chael and Fedor and all those guys, they rolled out for that. But, and, and to say that their heavyweight division was down, dude, they didn't have a champion for like three years when they stripped Minikoff for having been inactive for like a previous two years. And now you got a guy who's actually really good in Bader, who you could make these sort of, could he compete against the UFC elite arguments? And then to just sort of have this happen, I get that, you know, Congo had wanted to go to that tournament. They didn't let him in, but he had enough wins to sort of justify this. He just beat Minikoff, but... uh yeah, it's sort of a womp-womp. We'll see what happens as he goes and fights Rampage, potentially. Just know that Rashad is not Ryan Bader. Guess what? I'm not Ryan Bader. My word. I'm not I'm Ryan Bader. All right. Damn right. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, have we seen Rampage Bader before? Ryan Bader. Shibaka Sokura. 
<laughs> Where did that come from? That's on the soundboard. It's a deep cut right there. Didn't they fight before? Yeah, I think they fought. In, I think they fought before. Yeah, I think they all fought right. before. Notice sure. we're like, yeah, we're all like, yeah, I think so. Who really cares? All right. It was kind of a boring fight. They did fight before. It was three rounds. That's how memorable it was. Can we do a hot take on Rampage now? Really, since Rashad, since that fight. What have he given us? And I mean that I mean that in a kind of a jerk way, kind of like a dick fan way. I'm just going to be a dick fan for a moment, right? Not a fan of dicks, a dick fan, okay? All right? Um, has he given us much since he tore that door down? That's the mountaintop moment on sort of second half Rashad. I mean, I didn't even like the A-Team remake. What has he – Rashad, what has Rampage given us, right? He put on some weight and he got a couple gross fights in Bellator. I mean – BC, why are you trying to put me in this position? That's a fair point. That's, that was, that's a little, yeah, you're right. It's a little, it's a little, a little grimy on my fault. Brandon, can you feel this one, please? I mean, he has a couple knockouts in Bellator that were nice. Yeah, I mean, he's not, he's knocked out Vandalay again, you know, and knocked out Joey Beltran. Joey Beltran, you know, the, the nice. page still, still can, uh, he can still he did, howl. He did fight John Jones after he fought Rashad. He got, Submitted, but he uh, did that's fight. right. That was probably the last. He and he took that training camp seriously. He came in there ready. Um, I'll give you that. And then he went on to lose to Bader by decision, lose to Glover to share by decision, and then went over to Bellator. Uh, yeah, all right, all right, whatever. Thank you, Rashad Rampage. Thank you, Rampage. I would that ass. What can I say? Back back in the day, you did, bro. All right. Um, please, Rampage's not listening anyway. Okay. Send, send your letters to, to Brian Campbell. Okay, there you go. Hey, Brandon, what do we got in the news this week? All right, I want to f- get fired up about Cowboy Gage, your boy Dustin Gage. But uh, who else you got? I mean, I think we covered most of it to start the show with the 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 strife at American Top Team right now between Dustin, Jorge, and Colby. Yeah, we hit that up, and I know that Cyborg came back and said some bad things about Dan. I'm over that. And by the way, Cyborg trying to say, uh, hey, Dana, I still want the Nunes rematch. Call Scott Coker and let's make it. Can you stop? Can we stop with that? Like, really, Cyborg? I want to love Cyborg. I do love Cyborg. And I know it, she didn't put out that video, right? Her team did. But come on. Don't talk like that. Talk realistically. Oh, I know. I know. It's, yeah, yeah. I this know. is the part of the show where we bash fighters, Rashad. You may want to step out of the room. <laughs> where, we, where we end relationships. No. I love fighters, and I love the main event this Saturday. Brand, Brand you got nothing else for me, right? Nope. All right, it is UFC Fight Night Vancouver this Saturday on the ESPN Plus, and this is a hell of a main event. It's lightweights. They're going to bang for the all-violent championship. Cowboy Cerrone, the highlight, Justin Gage. Brandon, can, can you give me the real pronunciation there? Uh, Justin Gaethje. Gaethje. Gaethje's got it. Uh, Rashad, when you hear this matchup, when you hear those names, your first thoughts? Uh, it's going to be ex- explosive. Uh, one of the best fights of the year. You know, this is, this is, this is what fighters, you know, real fighters want to watch to get some tips. Okay. Let's see how these guys just go and just, you know, do what they got to do mentally to put themselves through and put themselves in that place, you know, and go for broke. These guys go for broke. You know, this fight is going to be a go for broke type of fight. Damn right. It will be. Um, Brandon, when we look at the stocks of the, of the, fighters coming in 
any fear that cowboy and look, we've, we've sort of done this. Well, this cowboy passed his prime a few times in the last five years only to be wrong. And then we just watched the rebirth of, of, of cowboy dad put it together with three big wins before Dr. Stoppage TKO lost to Tony Ferguson in June. I sort of, when I heard this fight got pumped up damn right, but we're sort of like, whoa, cowboy, like, kind of willingly going back into hell here you got any fears for the uh for the old gunslinger here oh man um yes and no like he kind of survives well in the violence like this where he just needs to be active and and fighting all the time what will this be like his fourth or fifth fight in the last 15 months or something like that that is cowboy style will be his fourth of the 2019 calendar year and he fought in november of last year yeah so it's like this is just who he is. He feels like he needs to be in training camps all the time, getting ready for a fight to feel good and, and ready to, to, to do war, <laughs> so to speak. And I do have my concerns about this fight just because I feel like Justin is the younger version of Cowboy at this point, even though they probably are about the same in the amount of damage that they've both taken. Um, I just, I, I just, I, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I just want to talk about, how amazing this fight is going to be on Saturday because well, no, I don't bring that stuff as a, as a negative, but as, as to play into the analysis, because look to beat Justin Gage G and the guys that have been able to do it, you got to stand in the pocket. You got to stand in hell. Cause he's going to, he's going to find you. He's going to show up. He's going to back you down. He's going to test your will. But the guys who have the mixture, the combination of technique and toughness, we're able to stop him. We're able to ultimately figure him out. Cerrone's got the technique. It's got the toughness, but does he have the want is really the question. The want to go through with that at this point. If it gets ultra hairy, and I hope it will, because that's why you tune in. This fight has all the makings to be a classic. No, I think you're right. I think that he's going to want to do it. It's just a matter of if Justin goes after the weaknesses that that Cowboy has. Like Rashad's told us before, when he gets hit with those body shots, he kind of folds up because of that that injury he had from his his accident. Yeah. So if Justin attacks the right spots, I don't know if it even gets to that point. And Justin with those leg kicks too, you know what I'm saying? But but here's the thing about it, you know, the thing that I I look at and I look at Donald Cerrone, you know, they have a um they have that that I guess that that common history, you know, training out in the Denver area and being able to. I guess understand each other's style just by proxy. You know what I'm saying? They've been training with some of the same training partners that that train with uh, each other. So I think that you know they they're kind of familiar with the styles and they kind of know what each other has to to add to this whole thing. So when you're looking at what Donald has to add to this, you know you have to look at that Muay Thai situation, that clinch that he'd be able to do with those knees up the middle. You know, and I think that though that could be something that can give. Um, uh, that, that can give Gaethje a bit of a problem because I've seen him get controlled in the, in, in the clinch sometimes. So I think that, you know, with a guy who's a bit taller, who has a little bit of leverage, that can be a tough situation for him to 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 uh, to get out of. And this is not the fight for Cowboy to be the old school Cowboy late starter where you sort of take some damage to wake up and then sort of figure things out. He's got to be he's got to be crisp and ready early to sort of discipline Gaethje because he's coming for you. He's coming for your heart and soul, and he's bounced back nicely from those two defeats, consecutive knockouts over the last year of James Vick and Edson Barbosa. Rashad, we always say this about Justin Gaethje. We always say, well, dude, you can wrestle, but you never do it. And I'll give his his team credit and Trevor Whitman for – helping him evolve and he showed some wrinkles against Barbosa that hadn't been there a little bit 
a little bit of patience wrinkled in, a little bit of craft to set up his punches rather than just walk into it. But could you see a guy who can build more longevity in his 30s if he did the same with wrestling and brought that in? And do you see this as a matchup where that could favor him? Absolutely. Even if, even if like, you don't really need to commit to the full takedown. If I can punch you and get into a clinch position where I just minimize what you can do to me and then gum up the action a little bit, Randy Couture is a perfect situation, a perfect guy, uh, his game plan. He would do a wall and brawl. He'll land a big shot. Then he'll get the guys against the, uh, the cage and he'll beat the heck out of them. Then get back to the center and exchange only at his, only when he wanted to or landed big shots when he wanted to. But when the guy was able to hit him, he will clinch him back up. And I think that's the kind of game that Justin Justin Gaethje can do because not only does he have big, powerful shots, uh, punches, he has big, powerful kicks as well too. So he can truly just go up the game when he wants to, you know, push a guy away, land some big shots, invite that exchange, invite that that brawl, close the brawl up so the guy can't hit him so much, and, and winch and repeat and do that over and over again until he breaks his guy. I'd like to see if both kind of worked in – Within the violence, and there will be violence, but both kind of worked in a little bit more of their game plan and see adjustments needing to be made. I mean, look, I mean, if it's a car wreck, we're going to love it. If yeah, it, well, when it comes to ground game, Donald Cerrone, his ground game is one of the most underrated, and he does not use that nowhere. Like, listen, I, I'm telling you right now, Donald can probably squeeze out another few years if he started using more of his grappling because his grappling is, I believe, just as dominant as a stand up game. You would think. More for Justin Gaethje, but but Cowboy's still got a huge name. So let's say he comes in here and finishes Justin Gaethje. Okay, there's another big fight for him. But I tell me if I'm wrong, guys. I think the guy who can go further with the win right now is Justin Gaethje. Meaning, if he wins this, is it out of the question for him to be in the Connor conversation next? No, I mean that. See that now. That's another good fight for Connor because at the end of the day, you know, it offers it offers a chance of another. Another um, uh, Diaz, Nate Diaz type of fight where you, you, you have a legacy type of matchup where both of these guys are going to love leave their blood and soul inside the octagon. And that's what the fans – and whenever you treat the fans to that, they come back for more. And that would bring Connor stock up, win, lose, or draw. And Connor probably wouldn't have to worry, be worried about having that fight go to the canvas. Absolutely. That's not. interesting. <laughs> wow. All right, I'm ready for that violence. I'm almost at the point where it's like – Analysis, schmalysis. I don't care who wins. We're going to win. Let's just watch that fight and enjoy it, all right? Thank you. That's where I'm going to go with that. Uh, Brandon, you got any cares about uh, Glover Teixeira coming back? He's back, man, in this co-main event against Nikita Krylov. Yeah. I mean, this is Glover kind of past his prime. He's trying to build himself back up again. He got a nice win in April down here in Fort Lauderdale. He looked good in that fight. But... This is a little bit dangerous. I mean, Nikita Krylov's got some power in those hands, and he's going to try and make Glover feel it, but I, I don't know. It's a good fight. I'm interested, but it's not like a game changer at, at light heavyweight or anything. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Glover, Glover's share is one of the toughest guys in there. You know, he caught me with a pretty good shot. And, you know, speaking of Glover, like after, you know, what's been his motivation and how he keeps on going, he's like, you know, the biggest thing for me is just kind of staying in shape now, and I've kind of changed the way that I've trained now. I don't do so much live sparring, so now I'm more methodical and more uh, easy about how I train, but I'm more consistent, you know. So I, I think the changing of his game is probably what, you know, you know, probably one of the biggest reasons why you see a guy like a Glover to share who may be able to 
hit their second win, you know, being able to adjust to the training. Because if you don't adjust to the training, your body can't handle it. And then physically speaking, you show the signs when you get into the cage and you can't take the shots that you once were able to take, you know, because before we get into the octagon, we're taking a lot of shots in training and practice as well, too. It'd be three in a row if Glover can get the win this weekend. Uh, he did get the stoppage win on you, but uh, Rumble Johnson got your back in the next fight, right? <laughs> yes, he did. He, he took him to a dark, dark place there. One of the the better uh, highlight reel wins on Rumble's resume right there. Uh, Brandon, get fired up, all right, dude? You can have your moment here, okay? 33-year-old heavyweight Todd Duffy is back. Dude, it has been a long-ass time since he got knocked out in the first round by Frank Mir in 2015. Uh, spare me the time of digging through Wikipedia or remembering. Where's this guy been again? Mercer? Where's he been? He's had so many injuries mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, dude, to me, for me, like growing up watching the sport in like 2008, 2009, I thought he was going to be the real deal. I thought he was going to be one of those dudes that just jumps on the scene, goes, wins the heavyweight title, and just like goes on a run because I thought he had all the tools. He lost a couple of, of tough fights. He Are you had, saying he's like Brian Bosworth or something like that? Kind of like Brian Bosworth. <laughs> he was like one of the originals for me. And, I mean, the knockout loss to Frank Mir sucked, and, and losing to Alistair was tough to see. But I, wa- I just want to see what he looks like now. He's 33. He w- he started fighting when he was, what, like 21 or 22 in the UFC? So I, I just want to see what he looks like now. Yeah, you know, actually I got a chance to see him in the, um, the uh, Performance yeah, Institute. Yeah. And he, he didn't look too bad. You know, the, the biggest thing with him has just been able to, you know, he, he's been out for a while dealing with some personal issues and dealing with some health and stuff like that. And just, you know, life is, is, is taking him out of the sport and, and he's been just, uh, you know, just trying to deal with it. But, you know, it's, it's good that, that he made his way back because I know he's been trying to do it for a long time, but just life sometimes keeps you out a lot longer than you want to. But now it's like when you're out for that kind of time, you know, has a sport passed you by? Because at the end of the day, it go it like these athletes are going so quick. And I and I know just from going to the gym within the last you know few months, I'm like, man, these guys are. It's a different kind of rhythm. And unless you're training with guys, unless you in it all the time, you're gonna feel that in it that difference when you get back in it. I almost felt that for two years for Conor McGregor, they came back and it was just a, a different time. You know, like that things move quick in this game. Rashad, oh, yeah, you're not kidding. Sure. Uh, 33 years old for Duffy, man. It feels like it was generations ago. Like you mentioned, Brandon, when he was a p- potential next big thing, a propped up player that lost over him in 2010, though. Maybe we run that back if if Duffy can put some wins together. I'm sure there wasn't drug testing that night in Japan for <laughs> for the dream interim heavyweight championship. Uh, Todd Duffy taking on Jeff Hughes, who I know little to nothing about, which is probably the point of this matchup. Yep. All right. Uh, hey, Uriah Hall against uh, uh, Screwface. 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 Oh, I'm thinking Marks for Death. The Screwface twins. <laughs> hope, yeah. Hope they're not triplets. Great movie. Great movie there. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. is Shoeface. Uh, this matchup screams violence. Yeah. This whole card screams violence. Yeah. You need to get woke to Michelle Pereira. That's what you need to do. All right, wake me up. What do we got here? What do we got here? I mean, I don't remember when his last fight was, but he made his UFC debut uh, earlier this year, and he had the Superman punch where when he punched his opponent in the face, his opponent literally flew backwards before he got knocked out on his back. And he's also the guy who went viral earlier this year for doing the uh, front flip onto his opponent while he was grounded. 
you don't remember this at all. I don't. I don't. You know, I see a lot I'll of combat. I'll send it to you later. Right? I'll send it to you later. Yes, please. Thank yeah, you. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Uh, anything else in this card? I mean, there's some names. There's some. There's some bangers. I'm. I'm. I'm fired up. It's gonna be fun. I. Yeah. It's a. It's a very low key, good, violent card. I like those. I like those in between good, violent cards. We'll see how that plays out. Hey, nice, efficient show this week, guys. We brought the pain. We didn't linger. All right. Brought the, <laughs> we, we did the damn thing. We did the business. Okay. We broke it down. Um. I want to close with this, Rashad. We. We. Uh. Brandon and I really, uh, really gave Habib his just due after that win at 242. And we talked, all, of course, all about what's next. But um, I don't know, man. I think we're seeing an all-timer here. I, mean, I really do. I really think we're seeing a guy where you, you can get the uh, – not just the jacket ready. I mean, you, you, can, you can prepare the, the throne ready, the seat with the goats. And that's still early to say because anything can happen. And Tony Ferguson may end up being that guy in the end. But – it's hard not to get those feels and those emotions that this is the Habib era, Rashad, and we're all just living in it. Yeah, I totally agree. And especially when you add to the fact of what he does outside the octagon, you know, those are the things that made Muhammad Ali Muhammad Ali. You know, when you when you look at what he did in the, in, in the uh, ring, okay, that was one thing, but what he stood for outside of the ring was what really solidified his legacy. And I think, you know, with Habib, with his, you know, style of fighting that's just unforgivable 28 no and just complete domination but then you add to that you know he, he's a great person on top of that and there's the many things he does for charity on top of that i think you have a, a a true chance to put him you know on that that, that pedestal where people are like wow this guy is definitely untouchable because not only does he fight like a beast he's a great person too i'm, I'm fine I, I woke i woke up brandon all right i woke up to the guy that you were day one ish on so congratulations there um hey guys all oh, this weekend is also some boxing tyson fury the six foot nine lineal heavyweight champion is back check out the interview i did with him on the state of combat boxing podcast let's just say it's off the damn rails uh good luck to our producer mikey Mormile beeping out all of those f words um rashad you big tyson fury fan the gypsy you big fan i do like the gypsy man the gypsy is he, listen he's the big smooth man He's big, he's smooth, and uh, he has fun. You know, he's a fun guy. I, I like Tyson Fury. I, I, I think that people need to, like, like we can we fall in love with the craziness, and he's crazy. He's wild. But, man, like you said, 6'9", to be able to switch stances and have the speed and have the, like, damn, he moves well. Like, that's a, that's a freak of nature right there. It is, you know. And, you know, he got, he got, a, little, he got a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of soul in him too, you know what I'm saying? Like the way the way he moving like that, he got some soul in I him. I mean, man. we used to see guys his size. Remember that Russian heavyweight champion they had about ten years ago? Uh, is the big furry dude? Um, what the hell, Nikolai Valuev? He was like seven feet tall, all hairy and sweaty. Yeah. That guy couldn't punch. He couldn't move. I mean, like he was hugging John Ruiz for twelve rounds. Like, think about that, and then think about the way that man. I mean, even the taller. MMA guys we've seen, the rare sort of freaks, the Stefan Strews every once in a while, they don't even move like that. You know, like that that's a special to have that footwork at that size. That's, but that I mean, that's that's one thing I like about the gypsies that he brings, you know, the finesse back to the heavyweight weight class. You know what I'm saying? It's not just about big punching, it's it's about finesse, skill, not just, you know, gonna overwhelm you with the jab like the Klitschko's. He's gonna, you know, put some sauce on it too, you know what I'm saying? And and mix it up and make it look pretty. So that's what I like about the uh, the big gypsy. If and you, then he's going to sing after. Oh, you're damn right he will. Uh, if you had one chance to uh, to play matchmaker in this heavyweight boxing division, what's the one fight you want to see more than any? And don't say Spong Usyk, okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, you you know I, I you know I got I gotta go I gotta go back to uh, 
Deontay Wilder, man. I, I love to see Deontay Wilder, Deontay Wilder, and um, and and the Gypsy go back at it again. Damn right, dude. Hopefully they they got the contract for February, but they both have to get through some in between fights to get there and uh, see what happens. Ruiz Joshua. December seventh. That should be oh, good as well. Oh, no, you know I'm kind of I'm kind of nervous for Joshua, man, because he's kind of he's setting his plate again in a bad way. Like he's like he went there, and I know he didn't want to do it, but he, his whole interview when he did his last press was kind of like on a on the sounding like it was luck that that happened. He really wasn't giving Ruiz the the props that that he deserved, you know. And I agree. You, I haven't <laughs> liked his demeanor since then. So I mean, but being Saudi Arabia, being neutral territory, we'll see what happens. Hey, Brandon, um, let me check my watch. We're a couple weeks away from the big announcement that Zufa Boxing's got. All right, you fired up? We're gonna find out who this mystery man is that's brought in. Maybe it's Rashad Evans. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> when did they say that they're making this announcement? Uh, I, I did hear Dana White on the Chris Mannix Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast two weeks ago that he said in October there'll be an announcement of the of their strategy and the ma- the man who's not affiliated with boxing now who was brought in to run it. They're building his office next to Dana's currently right now at the PI or wherever that that office is uh, that that Dana, that Dana does the tours and on on camera a lot. Um, yeah, let's see what what their goal is. I, Dana said it straight up. He's like, we're going to be a little bit of everything. We're going to be promoters. We're going to be a network. We're going to be the middleman. If a fight can't be made, we'll put it on UFC Fight Pass and give people a lot of money. I mean, whatever lane Dana ends up picking, you know, he's got the money and the and the chutzpah to go after it. So should be interesting, Brandon. All right. Yeah, let's let's see what they're doing before we start getting excited. Oh, that's it. That's the show for this week. Special thanks to Brandon Wise, Rashad Evans, your boy BC. Hey, guess what? We out.